right, good morning. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Glad to be here. That, uh, that was awesome right there. I love that last song we sang. Um, just uh, something, a thought that I had. This is, this is not part of the message, but uh, just I, I, I had to, in my head, so I had to get it out. But that last part where we're singing, I am yours, I am yours forever, I'm yours forever, Lord. You know what I love about that? That's a, that's a, a two-way statement there because that's saying, what we're saying when we sing that is, God, I'm yours because you've got me because of what you did on the cross, and I've accepted that, and there's no way that that can be lost. Did you know that's what we believe? There's no way that can be lost. That we, it, once we're his, we are his. And then the other part of it is a way for us to say to him, I'm yours, I'm going to live for you, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to mess up, but we're going to do what he's asked us to do. And so we're here today to celebrate that kind of stuff. And uh, we're going we're gonna to jump in in just a minute um, in, into uh, to the book of Luke. So if you've got a Bible on your phone or you've got a, a Bible with pages in it, do whatever you need to do to find the book of Luke. And, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 10 in just a minute. Uh, before we do that, let me tell you about something coming up that we're going to be participating in. It's, it's a March 18th. It's called Send North America. Uh, there, this is a, a, a thing that the North American Mission Board is doing. Whether you know it or not, if you gave money in the bucket today, uh, part of that money, it goes to the North American Mission Board. We give money uh, every month to something called the Cooperative Program. And the Cooperative Program funds things like the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board. It also funds some other things. And, and uh, the North American Mission Board is, is key in helping new churches get started. Uh, so the churches that we're supporting right now, we've got a church in Baltimore, Maryland that we're supporting. We've got two churches in the Charleston area we're supporting. And we're going to be supporting Blake Comer when he moves to Brooklyn, New York later this summer and, uh, and, uh, and be supporting him. All of those churches are supported also by the North American Mission Board because th they're planning churches all over the country to try to reach people uh, who are without Jesus just like what we've done here. And so what they're doing is they're going to be going all around the country and they're going to be coming here to Taylor's First Baptist Church. David Platt, the guy who wrote Radical, a lot of you have read that book. He's going to be the speaker. He's really great. Passion Band uh, that does the Passion Conferences for college students. They're going to be there doing the music. And some dude who's Harris III, I don't know him. Evidently, he's the son of Harris II. And uh, he's going to be there. But you know, with that withstanding, uh, it's going to be awesome. We're going to be going. My life group, we normally meet on Wednesday night. We're, we're not meeting that night because we're going to go over there as a group to, to uh, Taylor's First Baptist Church. So I really want to encourage you to do that. If you want to go to that, uh, we're asking that you register online for that just so that we can let the folks at Taylor's First Baptist know how many to expect from our church. But listen, if you forget to register, it's not like if you show up, they're going to turn you away. Well, they might if the doors are, are you know, if it's full, but I, I think there'll probably be some space. But that's two, a week from this coming Wednesday, Send North America tour, and, and uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that. All right, we're going to continue the series that we started two weeks ago where we're talking about our strategy as a church. And, and <clears throat> one of the things that, that we talk about a lot here is what our mission is. And, and I told you a couple weeks ago when we started this series that, that our mission as a church, it answers the question of what are we doing and why are we doing it. That, that answers, that, that's what the mission answers. And, and our mission is here is to help people discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. That's been our mission ever since we started that we believe and we believe the scripture teaches that <clears throat> there are people all around us and they are in slavery to sin. 
but they, will, they don't know they're in slavery to sin. They think they need a lot of other things. They think they just need a little bit more money. They just think they need the right job. They think they need the right relationship. They think they need all of these things to make themselves feel better. But what the problem really is, is they're in slavery to sin. And so the only way they're going to find freedom in their life, the only way they're going to find that freedom is through Jesus Christ because he is the only way that we can be set free from sin. And so that's, that's been our mission from day one, that we want to help as many people as possible discover true freedom that only comes from Jesus Christ. But now the other thing is, is how are we going to do that? There's a lot of different things we can do. There's, there's a lot of methods that we can use to get there. And so, so when we started thinking about, okay, we know the what and we know the why, but we need to answer the question of how. And so the how comes into what is our strategy? What, what are we going to do to try to help people discover true freedom? And this is our strategy. Our strategy is to create churches where people are encouraged and equipped to grow towards Jesus Christ, develop real relationships, and love people. And we've talked for the last two weeks, we talked two weeks ago about what it means to grow in Christ. We talked last week about what it means to develop real relationships. And so today, we're going to focus on what it means to love people. Now, <clears throat> when you start talking about loving people, what, that, there's a lot that can be said about that because we're supposed to love each other. And, uh, and, and I've, I've been a part this week, and a lot of you have been, I've, I've seen firsthand this week how good this church is at loving each other, and it's been an awesome thing to be a part of, just to experience that, to see the church in action loving on people who are hurting, and it's, it's such a, a, a refreshing thing to see. But, but also loving people, we're not just talking about each other, we've got to talk about the main focus of when we talk about loving people should be folks we've never met yet, folks that haven't been in this building folks that, that we started this church to try to reach. And so when we're talking about loving people, that's what we're talking about. And, and I want to I share with you a story today in, in Luke chapter 10. And this is probably the most familiar story from the Bible when you talk about all the stories Jesus told because even people who've never been in church before, they've at least heard part of this story or they've heard the term uh, uh, that, that this story is famous for. And the story is the story of the Good Samaritan. And so we're going to look today in Luke chapter 10. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in 25 through 36 of Luke chapter 10. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. And I'm going to just go verse, kind of verse by verse, and we're going to talk through this thing together. And so let's start in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Now Jesus is, is he's teaching and he's telling stories, and that's one of the things he did. And, and, he's, and he's kind of got a, a question and answer time going here. And, and so somebody asked him a question, and look what it says here in Luke 10, 25. And behold, a lawyer, now that right there, you just need to stop. You know it's going to be bad news if you've got a lawyer involved, right? And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now I want you to notice this question here. This is, this is a great question that this guy asked. What should I do to inherit eternal life? In fact, you see, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see other places in the Gospels, in those four books, where other people asked Jesus that same question, and it was a great question. There was a, there was a guy who was very rich, and he was young, and he came to Jesus and asked basically this same question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus had a great conversation with him and gave him the answer. But the problem with this situation is not the question, it's the motivation behind the question. Because what does it say there in verse 25? It says there, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, 
teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? See, this guy, he wasn't really searching for the answer. He was hoping to trap Jesus. He was hoping to get Jesus to say something that was blasphemous. He was hoping to get Jesus in some kind of trouble. And so he wasn't really there to learn. He was there just to, to stir up trouble. And, 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 and that's a good thing for us to think about when we go to life group or when we come to worship or, or when we listen to a podcast of a sermon. We need to think about what are we there for? Are we really there to learn? Are we really there to hear what God has to say to us? Or, or are we listening thinking, man, this guy's going to say something wrong and I'm going to get him later on it, that kind of thing. So that's what this guy was doing. Then look at verse 26. So look at how Jesus answers him. He doesn't answer him directly. He answers him with a question. So Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, remember, what is this guy? What is his, what is his, uh, his, his vocation? It said he is a lawyer, right? And so Jesus asked him, what is written in the law? So in other words, this is a softball question. This, is, uh, this guy should know everything that's written in the law because his life is all about studying that and making sure other people obey it and that kind of thing. This is, a, this is like asking a six-year-old girl if she knows the words to let it go. This is, this is the easiest question that this guy has ever been asked in his life. So it's going to be just simple for him to answer this question. And, and Jesus asked him this because he, he understands what the guy's motivation was. He, it's not like Jesus was fooled and was thinking, hey, this guy really is here to learn. Jesus knew what this guy was going, what, what his motivation was. So instead of just answering him, Jesus said, well, tell me what you think. Well, how do you read the law? What do you see in there? This is what the fellow says, verse 27 and 28. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now let's stop right there just a second. Is that a good answer? That's a fantastic answer. That is the right answer. That is the perfect answer. In fact, I would, I would think by, by reading this that this guy... He had probably been following Jesus around for a while and had probably heard Jesus say that before because this is one of the things Jesus said a lot. And in fact, what this is, is Jesus talked about this when, when people talked about what is written in the Old Testament and what, what, are, what are the law and the prophets say. And Jesus said, I can sum it all up for you in, in this statement, and that is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so this guy's got the right answer. And then Jesus follows that up in verse 28, and he says this, And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now see, here's, the, here's where the, the rub comes in. This guy had the right answer, but what does Jesus say in verse 28? You've got the right answer, but do this, and you will live. See, the thing I want us to understand today but we're talking about loving people is this. You can know the right answer, but still miss the point. You can know the right answer, but still miss the point. When it comes to loving people, just knowing that we're supposed to do that is not enough. Just knowing the theology of love is not enough. Just knowing a lot of scriptures about love, that's not enough. There's got to get, we've got to get to that point where Jesus said, okay, you got the right answer, but what are you doing about it? Do this. And you will live. If you have ever run a marathon, uh, raise your hand. I want to see where our marathon people are in here. Who's ever run a marathon? Awesome. Very cool. I knew, I knew one of those. I didn't know some of those others. Yeah, great. Um, I've never run a marathon. And uh, in fact, I've, when I drive 26 miles, I start to get a little fatigued. 
But I have, I have friends that have run marathons. I've got, I've got three friends that, that are good friends of mine that have run marathons. One of these, he's crazy. He not only ran a marathon, that wasn't good enough for him. He ran 50 miles. He did a 50-mile race when he was 50. When he, that was his goal. He wanted to run 50 miles at age 50, and he did it. I mean, it's just crazy to me. Now, now here's the thing. I, could, I can get a lot of information about running a marathon. In fact, the other day I went on, online and I Googled uh, how do you train to run a marathon? You know how many results came up when I Googled that? Over 22 million. 22 million. And I read all of them. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't read them all. But I did look, I did look at a few of them, and they, they, talk, they had things in there like, you know, what, what you're supposed to eat, you, the way you should run before, and, and how you should train as far as you, you run certain amounts of distances at certain times. It talked about learning how to set a pace. It talked about the right kind of shoes to wear. I mean, there's just all kind of stuff in there about running a marathon. Now, I've read all that, read all that stuff. I've, I've talked to my friends who've run marathons. So I've got a lot of information about running a marathon. But see, for me, running a marathon is not about a lack of information. The problem is a lack of action. The reason I've never run a marathon isn't because I can't figure out how to train for it. It's because I hadn't gotten my lazy rear end out of the house and out there actually putting miles on the road. And that's the same thing for us when it comes to loving people. We're, we don't suffer from a lack of information. In fact, most of us as believers, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're a church person and you come to church, you probably know way more about the Bible than you're using on an everyday basis. I know I do. We know way more about what we should do than what we actually do. And Jesus says to this guy, listen, you got the right answer, but you need to do something about it. Do this and you will live. In, in Matthew 7, 24, that's the last part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we've taught on that before here at this church. And I've told you then, and I'll tell you again now, if, if, you don't, if, you, if you lost your Bible and you didn't have anything else to read and you were trying to figure out how am I supposed to live as a Christian, just do Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and read that every day for the rest of your life and start trying to do that. And you're going to be so close to Jesus if you do that. But here's the thing. We know all that stuff. We understand what it says about marriage. We understand what it says about money and all that stuff. But the very end, Jesus makes the point in Matthew 7, 24. He says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hearing is not enough. Reading it is not enough. Just understanding what the right answer is is not enough. There's got to be some action backed up to it. And so, so the, the guy gets this answer, right? This lawyer gets this answer. And here's the thing about this guy. He's like a lot of us. He immediately knows, you know what, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. So what does he do? Well, look at verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So it's almost like he's kind of challenging Jesus. Okay, yeah, yeah, got to love my neighbors myself, but really I don't have any neighbors, do I? I mean, what is, actually, what is a neighbor, Jesus? Come on. That's like going to class the first day of college and the professor handing out the syllabus and you see that you've got papers and you've got tests and you've got books to read and all this stuff and you raising your hand and saying to the professor, hey, um, could you just help me understand what's the least amount that I can do and still pass this class? That's the question that this guy was asking him. What's the least amount that I can do? I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, but 
But really, you know, that you're just really talking about maybe one guy, right? Can I just pick out that guy and just love him and, that, and be done with it? And so what does Jesus say to him? Well, Jesus doesn't answer him directly. Jesus tells a story. And Jesus told a lot of stories in the New Testament. And he tells stories to make points. And he's trying to make a point with this story. But not only in this story is he trying to make a point, but I love what Jesus does here because he's really kind of laying a trap for the guy. He's saying, I'm going to tell this story and you're going to kind of get engrossed in it. And then I'm going to put a zinger in there that's going to just blow your mind. So, So Jesus starts telling this story in verse 30 and it goes like this. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now from Jerusalem to Jericho is a distance of about 18 miles. And, and it was a, an area there where, where there was a lot of um, rocks and stuff. So it was, a, it was a common place where someone would be robbed. So chances are this guy probably knew someone who'd been beaten up and robbed there and heard stories about that. So he really understood what Jesus was, was talking about there. And then, uh, and then it says there, he goes to verse 31 and 32. He says this, Now by chance, a priest who was going down that road And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So Jesus is painting this picture here of this poor guy beaten up, minding his own business. He should have had his CWP, his concealed weapon permit with him, and put a slug in somebody, but he didn't. And so now he's laying there on the ground, beaten up, and... And so here he is, and then Jesus paints this picture and says, okay, the two most holy guys that you can think of, the priest and the Levite, because they were like the the religious heroes for these Jewish people. And he said, your preacher and and the guy who assists the preacher, guess what they did? They just walked right by him. Now see, a priest back in those days, if you go way back to the Old Testament, and, and you remember the stories of Moses in the Old Testament and and Egypt and let my people go and go into Pharaoh and part in the Red Sea and all that good stuff. Moses had a brother named Aaron, or A. Aaron, if you are, if you want to call it that. And and Aaron was was a uh, Moses' brother. And, and God said to to Aaron, He said, "You're going to be the priest of the people. And not only are you going to be the priest, but all your descendants are going to be the priest." And so it, it started this whole thing. And, and so this guy who's a priest, he is a direct descendant of Aaron. And, and his, he's very important. And, and he was probably, it says, that, it says the man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. I like to think in my mind that the priest was going from Jericho to Jerusalem. He was probably heading to the temple. And, and so he's probably heading and getting ready to, to be involved in worship. Now, the thing with the priest, when he got there, he had a lot of responsibilities and, and he had a lot to do. Now, the Levite, he was also a, a part of the tribe of Levi, which is the same tribe that Aaron was in, but he's not a direct descendant of Levi, uh, a direct descendant of Aaron. And, and his job was he was going to go and assist the priest. Now, why in the world would these two guys, they supposedly love God, they supposedly are you know uh, morally upstanding people, why would they pass by someone in obvious distress that had just been beaten up? Well, here's, here's why I think they did it. And here's the point I think Jesus was trying to make with this story because of the culture that he lived in at that time. See, there was a law in the Old Testament law that said that if you touched a dead body, 
that then you could not go to the temple for a certain period of time. In fact, you had to change your living conditions. Your, everything about your life had to change for a set period of time. And so here's a priest. He's on his way to the temple to, to make the sacrifices. He's there to, to lead the worship. He sees a guy over there. He doesn't know if he's dead or not. Verse 30, it says that he was half dead. So probably from where he was, he thought, man, that guy looks like he might be dead. If I go and touch him, if I get over there near him and, and I accidentally touch him, guess what? I can't do it, so I'm just going to keep on going. And maybe the Levite passed by and he, he thought the same thing. And maybe he even looked at him and knew he was alive. He could hear him moaning or something, but he thought, man, that guy looks pretty rough. If I start helping him, he might die in the process. And before I can get him to, to help somewhere, he might die, and then I won't be able to do what I'm supposed to do at church today. And Jesus was painting this picture that here are church people like us, okay? Just like us church people that they are refusing to help someone not because they didn't care maybe but they're refusing to help someone but because they're afraid of how it would look they're afraid of what other people would think they're afraid of what the other religious folks would think why can't he oh my gosh the priest he can't make the sacrifice today well evidently he touched a dead guy on the road to jericho and it's just a scandal and they allowed that, they allowed that religious tradition, they allowed that to get in the way of them helping someone else. And it, it just, I thought of a question that, that I want to ask myself and I want you to ask yourself today. And that question is, what keeps me from loving people? I mean, the, the priest and the Levite, the, what kept them from loving people was a fear of what other people would think. It, it, it was a, a religious tradition that kept them from loving people. What keeps me from loving people? Is it money? Do I think it's going to cost me too much money? Do I think I'm too busy? Is it Do, do, I, do I don't want to get my emotions tied up in it? What is it? What keeps me from loving people? So Jesus, he's starting to weave this story here, and, and he's already kind of, the, this lawyer and the other folks who are listening, they're already probably shocked because he just took the two most religious people that these guys know and he kind of made them look bad. Now, what Jesus does next is it totally, it's just scandalous. What he does, it just people can't believe it because in verse 33, he says this, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. See, here's the big deal. The Jewish people and the Samaritans, they hated each other. In fact, they had nothing to do with one another. And so when Jesus made the Samaritan the hero of the story, what he's doing is he is breaking down religious boundaries, he's breaking down social boundaries, he's breaking down racial boundaries. The, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other for religious reasons, for racial reasons, and for cultural and social reasons. They could not stand one another. And so all of a sudden, here he is, and he's making, he's making the Samaritan the, the hero of the story. It'd be like if I stood up today in front of the Republican National Convention and I made Obama the hero of the story. People would be wanting to kill me and take me outside and throw me off of the roof or whatever. And that's what Jesus just did. He said, this guy that you can't stand, this guy that you think is terrible, he is going to do something that the priest, that your holiest guy, and the Levite, your second most holy guy, he's going to do something they didn't do. It says that he had compassion on the man. And so verse 34 through 36, it says this. The Samaritan went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? See, Jesus makes it very clear here in this story that that if we're going to love people, it takes a whole lot more than information. That loving people is going to require some things. One of the things loving people is going to require of us, it's going to require personal attention. If we're going to really love people, we've got to give them some personal attention. Verse 34 there, it says that the Samaritan went to the man, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. This was not something that he did from a distance. This was not something that he donated to a charity so someone else could do that for this sick guy. He went to them. He got down on his hands and knees. He bound up the guy's wounds. He picked them up. He put them on his, his donkey, and, and he took him into town. It, was a pers- it required personal attention. The other thing that if we're going to love people, it's going to require our time. It's going to require our time. Is anybody else busy? Am I the only one that's busy? It feels like we're all busier than we've ever been, isn't it? But somehow in the busyness of our life, we have got to be sure that we are not missing opportunities to love people. We've got to find those opportunities to love people around us and and not say, well, I would do that if I didn't have to do this, this, and this, or my schedule's really full and I don't have time to go and do this, whatever it might be. That loves people. I mean, there in verse 34, again, it says that this the Samaritan, he set the, the man on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then when you get into verse 35, it says, and the next day. So not only did he take care of him, but he stayed overnight with him. He stayed there to make sure that the guy made it through the night. So I don't know what he had going on, but whatever his plans were, he canceled them because he knew this guy needed his help that he was going to love somebody and it was going to take some time. The other thing that's going to require, if we're going to love people, it's going to require personal attention, it's going to require time, and it's also going to require money. Sorry. Nobody wants to hear that, but it is. It requires money to do this stuff. Verse 35 there, it says, The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And not only did he give him that, Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when, when I come back. It doesn't say that, that the next day he, he went to the Salvation Army and said, hey, I got this guy here that needs some help. Do y'all have any funds left this month that you can help him? No, it says he took it out of his own pocket and he helped the guy. He didn't call up the Roman government and say, can I get this guy a welfare check because he got beat up on the road to Jericho. No, it says he took it out of his own pocket. I don't know what this Samaritan did for a living, but part of what he earned that week or that month, he just spent on somebody that he had never seen before. He just spent it on somebody he had never met before that moment. And then he said, and not only will I spend that, but I'll come back and I'll give you whatever else you need. I'm going to take care of this guy. And then this kind of goes without saying, but the other thing that it will require, it will require that we'll have an outward focus. It will require that, that we'll be thinking about people other than ourselves. This guy, this Samaritan, had never met this man before. Not only had he never met him, but he was, he, was a Jew, he was a Jewish person. So it was totally outside of, of who he was, totally outside of his culture. And see, if we're going to ever get to the point where we're going to love people, we have got to start taking the focus off of ourselves. And, and I'm going to just tell you something. It is natural for us to be focused on ourselves. It comes natural to us. It's a sin, but it comes natural to us. 
We, when, when something happens, we immediately will think, how does this affect me? There's not a one of us that something happens and we think, oh my gosh, what is this going to mean for somebody else? We always come back to what is it going to be about for me? The, the place that you can see this, this has been a problem for years. It's not just an internet problem. But the place where you can really see this is if you're on Facebook. I don't know how many of you have Facebook accounts, but even if you don't have a Facebook account, you've seen someone else's probably. And man, on Facebook, you can just really see that we are just, as human beings, we're really wrapped up in us. And everybody writes their own little thing on there, and whatever they're going through at that time, they think everyone should be concerned about that. Now, I'm not talking about, I mean, there's some things that you need to put on there. If you need prayer for something, <clears throat> we need to know that. If you're, you, you're dealing with a, a tragedy or something, we need to know that. But I'm talking about things like, uh, well, I'll tell you who's the worst. And, and I'm not saying we were any better when, when my wife and I had our first baby. But the thing was, we didn't have the internet to put it on. But here's the thing. New parents, new parents on Facebook, they think they're the only people that's ever had a baby, right? And it's just all, and it, and it thinks like every, the world should revolve around, oh, you know, my baby's not sleeping. Does anybody, I mean, I, I, listen, I know that's a, a bad deal or whatever. But then the next thing it's going to go to, the teething is terrible. What are we going to do about the teething? And the next thing is, how are we going to get them into kindergarten? And the next thing is, my teacher, is my kid's given too much homework. And it goes on and on and on, and everything's just surrounded about us. And then if those people stay on Facebook in about 50 years, it's going to be, my dentures are falling out. I need a hip replacement. And it's... <clears throat> It's just going to keep going there because the deal is, is that we're so focused on us. And listen, I'm not saying those things aren't concerns, but what I'm saying is that sometimes we think what concerns us should concern everybody. Why? Because we're focused on what's important to us. But if we're going to love people, really love people the way Jesus said to love people, really, way, really love people the way that Jesus said this Samaritan loved people, we've got to get the focus off of us. And we've got to start thinking about what does my neighbor need? What's going on in their life? What, the guy that I work with, the, 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 the girl in my class at school that I teach, whatever it is that you do, what do they need? It, there, something's going on there. How can I help them? Because love is something we do, not something that we feel. See, that's the difference between Asking who is my neighbor, like the lawyer did, and then asking how can I love my neighbor. The lawyer was just saying, you know, who is it? I, I don't think most of these people are my neighbor. And Jesus said, no, you should be asking how can I love my neighbor, which is your neighbor is whoever you happen to be associated with at that time. The person that you see at the store, the person that lives next door to you, the person that you work with, the person that you go to school with, whoever that might be. All you got to do is look around. I've told this story before, but most of you probably weren't here, so I'm going to tell it again. One of my favorite little girls in the whole world um, goes to this church, and she's a little uh, elementary school age girl, and I've known her since she was born. And um, she uh, she was she goes to elementary school, and and, uh, and she had gotten a uh, award at her school for being like the superstar. The, the word superstar was in it. It was like superstar student of the week or something. And so um, and so I heard about this. And, uh, and she's, and listen, she's good at school, but she, she likes to talk. She's very social, and she likes to talk. And, you know, sometimes teachers, they look down on people that talk. I don't know why they, they did that to me the, my whole time. I don't know what's the matter with them. But, but uh, so, so anyway, she got this superstar student award, and it was a big deal. So I saw her, and I said, hey, I said, I heard you got an award at school. And she said, yeah, I did. I said, what was it? 
and that she couldn't really remember the name of it. She just said, I'm some kind of superstar, <laughs> which I thought was awesome, you know. And I said, you are a superstar. And, and here's what I thought was, when I was thinking, preparing this message, I thought about that. Because here, here's what I thought was awesome about that. You know, we live, we live in a very harsh world. I mean, it just is. If you turn on TV, radio, read a blog on the internet, n- there's, nobody's out there saying, hey, I want to encourage people. You know what everybody's out there doing? I want to find out what people are doing wrong and expose it. I want to criticize people for their decisions. That's what, that's what the world we live in is. It's harsh. It's a hard place to live. And people get beaten up and they get knocked down and they're, and they're made to feel like they're less than what they are. And we have an ability, when we leave this place, tomorrow when you go to work, tomorrow when you go to school, you have an ability to take people who have been beaten up, they've been knocked down, they've been made to feel less than they are by the world, and you have an ability to make them feel like a superstar. To make them feel like that they are exactly what they are, which is a child of God who God gave his life for. See, God never sees us the way we see ourselves. God never sees us the way the world sees us. This world makes us feel like we are nothing and we're worth nothing. And God looks at us and says, you are so worth it that I gave up my, the, my life of my very own son for you. That's how much you're worth it. And we have an ability. Not because we're great people, but because God has done something for us. And we can take that message and we can go to people and we can help them understand that God loves them that they don't have to be beaten down they don't have to live a discouraged life but they can live the life that God's called them to live and just imagine just imagine if we did that what kind of doors would that open to people's hearts so that they could hear the message of the cross they could hear the message of the resurrection If you are the person in your office who everyone else is critical, they're critical of the boss, they're critical of the company, they're critical of you're on the job site, they're critical of whatever, everybody's critical of that stuff, and you come in and you are the voice that says, we're going to work hard today, we're going to make the best of this situation, and I'm glad to be here, and all that kind of stuff, and you're going to do a great job today, and we're going to do this together. What kind of difference would that make in someone's life? To lift them up. From them hearing, you're terrible, you're no good, you're not going to get the job done. And then you'd have the opportunity to tell them why you feel that way, why you live that way. It's because of Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. Band's going to come up. We're going to sing another song. You'll have an opportunity to respond down here. You can come down and pray. You can come find uh, Donnie or one of our other folks down here and, and grab them And if you need to talk. And uh, I just want you to think today, if, if, you're, if you're already a believer, who can you show love to this week? And if you don't know who Jesus is, and you just don't really feel that love, I want you to know that that can change for you today. That Jesus died for you because he loves you. And then you can live for him. Let me pray.
Father God, thank you so much for the story, the example that Jesus gave us of a, of a man who loved a stranger, and he loved that stranger sacrificially. Too many times, Father, I put limits on how far I'm willing to go to serve someone, to show love to someone. I pray that you would not allow me to limit what you want to do in me anymore. That I would show love the way you showed love to us. Unconditionally, sacrificially. I pray this morning for anyone here who, who might be struggling with whatever it might be. They've been beaten up. They've been knocked down. Help them to know today that you don't see them that way. That you want to make a difference in their life today. And they would allow you to do that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.